Welcome to episode 22 of the Analytics FC podcast with myself, Tom Warville. Uh, joining me this week is my usual co-host, uh, president of the Paul Stalteri fan club, Sam Gregory. Uh, and our guest this week is goalkeeper aficionado, Sam Jackson. So, hey Sam, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do. Okay, so first of all, um, in terms of what I do day to day, I'm studying a Master's in International Politics at Sussex Uni. Um, so there's not necessarily anything particularly linked to goalkeeping or analytics in itself, but in terms of um, doing goalkeeper analysis, I've been doing that since July 2015, which really has its background in me generally being a massive sports nerd, I suppose, which does tie in with, uh, I suppose, my political backing. Um, so I've always been a fan of like, the numbers and stuff like that. Always interested in like fantasy football. Really keen on like the recruitment side of football manager from a young age. Um, and I guess when I first read Soconomics and the numbers game a few years ago, that was originally for me kind of applicable for football manager rather than anything else. Um, otherwise, Soconomics does talk a bit about, for example, the economics behind countries bidding to host like sports mega events, which is something I write quite a lot about. Uh, in an academic capacity um, and I've got an interest I suppose in like high performance from the politics of sports so for example UK sports millions a year investment to make Team GB better at the Olympics um, and like the marginal gains approaches that kind of emanated from that um, so yeah through that political angle there's definitely a link to I suppose performance analysis and high performance within sports and then really what got me specifically starting blogging and football analysis was watching the Moneyball film when I finished my undergraduate degree last May. Um, so I watched it and I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. I knew that it was kind of based on the book, which was gave a more accurate depiction. But, yeah, I guess that really showed me, like uh, gave me an introduction to some of like, the idea of cognitive biases and things like that. And the fact that numbers can be used to, I suppose, cut through that. So I guess some of the ideas that I'd heard before in like Soconomics and the numbers game, I guess, were really brought back to the fore. Um, so I started blogging, as I said, in July 2015 with a focus on goalkeepers. I am one myself, not to a very high standard. But, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting position to look at. So, yeah, that's kind of a concise intro to me and what I do. So just to sort of lay the groundwork a bit for goalkeeper analytics in general, it's something we've talked about on this show quite a bit, and basically how we've had difficulty dealing with goalkeepers in many of the same way we've had difficulty dealing with defenders. Do you think there's any reason why we've had so much difficulty in analytics, or at least public analytics, dealing with goalkeepers? I think the first one's probably a lack of interest, in a way. Um, I know there's a good bit in the numbers game where they mention that in all sports, there's an issue with a lack of analysing defence. So, for example, in Major League Baseball, there'll be a lot of focus on how they can get bases or home runs or whatever, rather than looking at how they can prevent the other team from doing that. So I think, in a way, people are kind of intuitively drawn towards trying to work out how they can score more for their team in whatever capacity or sport that's in. So I think it makes sense that through a lack of, I guess, research into goalkeepers and defences, it's now kind of at a point where it's a long way behind the attacking side of things. So I think that's possibly 
a starting point. Um, although I guess the lack of like easily predictive metrics, so when it was shown that save percentage isn't that repeatable at all from year to year, kind of put a spanner in the works for anyone thinking, oh, maybe analysing keepers will be really straightforward as compared with our more sophisticated uh, attacking analyses. But I think the perception that defence is boring, I know that this was kind of an idea floating around the Twitter sphere, I suppose, following the Super Bowl last night, which was obviously quite a defensive, uh, quite a defensive game. I don't, I don't think defence is boring. Like, if you think of like in sports like rugby or whatever, loads of YouTube videos go up of like big defensive hits, like as many as tries. Like you've got saving videos of like great saves from keepers. So I think the idea that it's kind of dull kind of misses the mark. So yeah, I, I mean that might just be me. I really enjoy looking at. I guess the defensive side of the game and think in many ways it can be just as exciting from a fan perspective as, as attack. But yeah, I think I'd pinpoint that as the main reason for the lack of keeper analysis. And the majority of your goalkeeper analyses have focused on non-shot stopping stats. So looking at things like passing uh, and I think it was claim, claim percentage as well. Um, what's like the main reason for that? Um, I think the main reason it's similar to why I thought I'd focus on goalkeepers when I started off my blog, like aside from the fact that I am one myself. Um, it's just it's kind of a niche area. So within an area that's under-analyzed already, i.e. goalkeepers, there's areas that are under-analyzed still further. So all of the research, or 95 probably percent plus of the research that I've read by guys like Paul Riley, looks at shot-stopping, which makes sense. I suppose shot-stopping is a synonym for a goalkeeper, as far as many people are concerned. But goalkeeping is about so much more than uh, saving shots. So I suppose it just opened itself up to me as a bit of a niche where it was like, hang on, there really isn't much analysis at all done on the other aspects of goalkeeping. So even if I can say some very simple things about it with very simple like publicly sourced data from who scored or scorecard, then that's going to be maybe quite a good way to go for me to at least be able to write something of interest on my blog. And I think developing further, it's become more clear to me. Like I've read articles by people like David Priest, who I think is now a goalkeeping coach, used to play for Sunderland, um, and quotes like with interviews with Christoph Loik on the Chelsea goalkeeping coach, where they really do talk about how holistic uh, the modern-day goalkeeper is needed to be. So, yeah, I just think it's... Almost, I'll leave the shot stopping to other people who are already doing great work there. And it's almost to try to turn my attention to areas where there's just almost a complete absence of analysis, I suppose. So without just relisting all of the things that a goalkeeper does over the course of the game, when you look for a good keeper, what are the qualities that you're looking at aside from shot stopping? I think the most important thing is it's very driven by team style. So one probably good way to think about it is the Barcelona keeper or the Bayern keeper, so obviously Claudio Bravo to Stegen and Neuer are required to very much be good with their feet and they're in many ways a sweeper, an extra centre-back, but those teams don't face that many crosses in a match. They also don't face that many shots in their match, at least compared with the lower league team, who will probably play further down the pitch and have less of a requirement to be good passing. So I think it really is driven by team style. Because, for example, if Manuel Neuer hypothetically got 
injured and had to retire or whatever, or we just went off the boil and by and were looking to recruit a new keeper, it would be fundamental if they were to retain their current style of play to have a keeper that was excellent at rushing out of his area or at least willing to and was good with his feet. Um, so I think, yeah, team style is a massive part of it. Other than that, it's hard to say really what the most important qualities are other than kind of the obvious ones, shot-stopping, cross-claiming, passing, communication, although I wouldn't know how to go about quantifying that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's the ones that we kind of intuitively think are important, but I haven't really done any research into quantifying the relative percentage importance. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's very interpretive at the moment in terms of me telling you what I think the most important qualities of a keeper are. Going back to the point you just made about uh, Manuel Neuer, um, something that Sam and myself were throwing up beforehand was sort of the difference in style, quite a drastic difference in style between people like, well, players like Neuer and Petr Cech. Um, do you see there being like styles that are better or, and superior to those of others, or is it just literally a stylistic difference is... You know, among styles, there's strengths and weaknesses that balance out uh, across this whole like spectrum of you know Neuer style keepers, Tim Howard style keepers, Petrček style keepers. I think yeah, there probably is there probably is a spectrum, um, but I think hypothetically, if you had like some hypothetical robot keeper that caught every cross into the box, had perfect passing every time, saved everything, you would want as holistic a keeper as you possibly could. So I think all else being equal, you'd want them to be great at absolutely everything. Um, and yeah, so I think in terms of comparing people like Neuer and Czech, they do seem to be different and they are highly rated. I think some of that probably emanates from the team styles that they play in, that they appear so different. So I saw, I think it was Buffon when he retired, or he announced his retirement rather, he announced that, he figured that Czech was the most, I guess, all-round all round keeper of like the top few, which interested me. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think Czech is quite a, quite a holistic keeper in terms of at least the analyses I've done. He comes out quite well on the various things I've looked at. Um, but yeah, I think to say is one style better than the other, I think the most important thing is that it fits the team second to that or alternatively as kind of an overarching hypothetical you want them to be great at everything if possible yeah one thing that gets talked about i think a lot is the future of goalkeeping or the future of football in general and people try and predict what stylistic differences we'll we'll see in the future and right now one thing i've heard a lot about is that people say that manuel neuer is like the architect of the keeper we're going to see in 20, 30 years, or 30 years time, or that we're going to see more and more sweeper keepers? Or do you think this is something that is actually a real trend that we're going to see more of in the future? Or is this just a keeper who's really good in a specific system and plays a good role at Bayern Munich and Germany? Or do you think this is actually a trend that we're going to see more of in the next few years? I think it's an interesting one. I think it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what, kind of rules in terms of holisticism or trends like analysis of keepers is able to uncover um so i think at the moment so much of it's so perception based in terms of we're told that noise is a great sweeper keeper and he certainly is to watch and that other keepers aren't necessarily as good at other aspects i think it's going to be about trying to make every keeper as 
holistic as possible. I really do. Um, in the sense that there's such a, like a blind spot almost in looking at that. Um, at least in public analysis, I had no idea what it's like in teams. Um, so I think trying to get it to match, to match the team styles crucial, of course. So yeah, the team structure thing that you point out is hugely relevant, but I think obviously the success of Neuer, he's one of the few keepers to have probably really breached people's lists of these are the top players um, in recent years as a keeper or even as just a general defensive player in lists are usually populated just by attackers. Um, so I think that, yeah, definitely in that sense, people perceive Neuer to be brilliant. So as a result, maybe future goalkeepers will be coached to play more like him. But yeah, I think it's stylistically so important. Like You don't need to be a keeper who's really great at passing the ball outside of your box if you play for a recently promoted club, for example. It's just, yeah, it's, it would be almost a wasted skill. But yeah, I think, as, as I keep stressing, like the holisticism is a hugely important factor. Um, talking about that point about sort of keeper distribution and you know sweeper keepers and keepers that are more comfortable with the ball at their feet um, you did like created a metric of sorts recently called I think it was originally RPI and then renamed to GPI um, do you want to just give us a quick sort of concise rundown of what that metric is and what it's measuring yeah so first of all I'll just explain the, uh, the name change that seems kind of arbitrary for anyone who's not stumbled across this uh, metric before Basically, I originally called it RPI, which just meant relative passing index, which kind of referenced the way I worked out the metric. And then I realised there was already an analytical uh, model in basketball, I think it was, that used a metric with an acronym called RPI. So someone just recommended that I think of changing the name, so I just went with goalkeeper passing index instead. So that explains that. Um, but basically, yeah, I think that passing i hadn't seen anything looking at passing other than maybe just goalkeeper passing percentages um in terms of analyzing which keepers are good with their feet i mean everyone talks about as you were mentioning with going towards i suppose more of the Neuer model it's kind of presumed that it's a requisite that keepers will become better with their feet into the future but who actually are these keepers that tend to hit accurate passes more of the time and Obviously, pass percent, wherever position we're considering it for, is, I guess, a terrible statistic in that there's so much noise within it. But if you're just making backwards passes all the time, you're going to have a very much lower pass percentage than if you're launching massive upfield, crossfield balls into the danger zone, just by the way of where the defenders are. Um, so this metric attempted to cut through some of that. Uh, originally, in terms of distribution, I was just basically having a look at the excellent stat zone site and just manually noting down where various keepers' passes are ending up. Originally, I just did it by the thirds of the pitch. To see, okay, so ideally you want the keeper who's got good accuracy. This is my kind of original, just kind of spitball of how this metric might look, that you'd want the keeper with good passing accuracy into the defensive third relative to the average, into the middle third relative to the average, and also into the final third relative to the average. Um, but it's found that even within the defensive zone, the middle third and the final third there were still huge differentiations depending um on the success of passes so for example within the uh first third hang on i'll just get it up yeah within in the first third there's variances from 88 percent is the average pass accuracy 
in kind of the first third of the first third, all the way up to high 90% in the rest of the box, which suggests that when goalkeepers are passing it kind of under the pressure in their six-yard box, they may be more liable to panic or maybe under pressure from strikers from a dodgy pass back from defenders. But when they're passing the ball on the edge of the box, it would seem that the passes are much more easy than to complete. So if we're to compare um, a goalkeeper's passing accuracy, I think it's unfair to assume that all passes in the defensive third have the same difficulty. And likewise in the final third. So in the first third of the final third, so this is it really divided the pitch into nines. In the first third of the final third, there was an average pass accuracy of 31%, which went all the way down to like 17% of balls that ended up in the final third of the final third. So I really wanted to kind of go beyond the dividing the pitch into thirds model. Um, and just, yeah, try and compare the keepers to average in all of those sectors and weight it to the proportion of balls that ended up into that area. I'm aware that the model's not perfect at all. I mean, I only took the data from stat zone manually rather than from the original optifiles, which would be something I'd want to do in the future to kind of improve the way that, uh, improve the accuracy of the metric. But I mean, over just the first um, seven games compared to the next seven games in the season, I was able to get an R squared of 0.3 for pass accuracy just in, I think it was the first four sectors, which, I mean, yeah, that's, as I said, that's not even a third or a quarter, I think seven games of, of a season. So over the whole season, which is something I'll return to um, in due course, I think it'll be really interesting to see what even just this basic metric of distribution may tend to indicate that some keepers are better passing than others rather than just, I suppose, listening to what some of the pundits on match the day might say, oh yeah, he's great with his feet, just because he set up one goal once when any pass that any keeper plays is not necessarily that likely to end up in an assist. So yeah, I think it's just a way to try and cut through some of the perceptions and try and offer a statistical metric or something that's really just not looked at. So you said part of it is to cut through some of the narrative and the preconceptions people have about keepers. Do you have any examples of keepers that surprised you when you looked at this metric who are either better or worse than you anticipated their distribution to be? Yeah, there's there's two that really... um in particular, kind of sprung to mind. And they were both, I think, they came out as the two worst in the Premier League. Although, again, I stress it's only after 14 games they could yet regress to the means. The R squared still wasn't that high. But Casper Schmeichel and David De Gea really did not come out of this metric well at all, which surprised me because obviously Schmeichel was and continues to be like, praised for Leicester's excellent, for being a key like part in Leicester's play. But with Leicester so reliant on long balls, and the R squared for long balls was subject to more questions, but Schmeichel had one of the worst long ball pass accuracies, like weighted for the area that it weighed, um, that the ball ended up in, possibly stylistic. But hypothetically, if one of the best goalkeeping passes at long balls was playing for Leicester, would Leicester have scored even more goals, like from long balls played out from the back? And with De Gea, with Man United playing so many short balls, at least at the point that I did the analysis, which was, I think, just before Christmas, um, playing all the balls out from the back through De Gea, his pass accuracy in the defensive uh, four sectors was was really, really bad, which, again, it could be stylistic. It could be that, for example, Chris Smalling and Daly Blind are running away from the very accurate passes that he's played. But, I mean, this was, to an extent, repeatable, as I've mentioned. And yeah, it just struck me that everyone looked at De Gea 
and thinks, yeah, he's a brilliant shot stopper. And I'm not saying he isn't a brilliant shot stopper. But if he has potentially a fundamental flaw in passing, that's very, very interesting. So, yeah, I think, as I say, as I keep repeating, for me, it's all about trying to be as holistic as possible to understand keeper strengths and weaknesses and the varying aspects of goalkeeping rather than just shot stopping. On the, that model specifically, um, in your article, you noted a couple of drawbacks and things you like acknowledged that it's obviously, like you're saying, it's not perfect and it's very early bits of work. But um, I guess it's a good platform for you to say, you know, what sort of things you aren't so happy with about the metric and maybe what sort of things you're looking to, you know, add or, uh, you know, um, enhance the metric with in future to make it a bit more reliable. Right. So the first thing that I'd like to do um, is in terms of some of my sectors I divided the pitch up into, they're all just linear, following the lines that StatZone helpfully gives, which divides the pitch into nines. But I noticed that the pass accuracy for wide passes within the same like linear sector, horizontal sector, had a much higher chance of being completed than passes into the middle. So I did comment at the end of that article that I'd want to kind of have crescent shapes and if I was to gain access to like the optical that they can be able to run it all again um, to kind of make the sectors in which I was judging passes against more representative of the actual accuracies. So that would be a definite first thing I'd want to do. Second thing that would be great to do would be to really get a handle on whether long passing is a repeatable skill or if it's just completely random because in the analysis I did, there were two outliers that meant that the R-squared was essentially around zero, but they were substantial outliers. And if they were deleted, I think it was um, Boaz Mayhill and Bern Lina, if they were just deleted just to test what the other keepers looked like in terms of the trend on the R-squared was above 0.3, which on seven games repeated is reasonable. So maybe Mayhill and Lina will regress to the main, or perhaps they're representative of just... Um, passing into the, the latter steps of the pitch that is just um, unrepeatable. So, yeah, they're all things I'd like to test. But I'm certainly confident that this metric of comparing keeper passes to the average within sectors within which passing is kind of has a similar chance of being accurate, I think that's definitely a good way to go, certainly in the defensive kind of zones of the pitch in terms of gauging which keepers are good or not at passing the ball out from the back. Another follow-up that you had um, was about sort of uh, the long-range passing success maybe um, as a function of, you know, the quality of your target man or whether you play with a target man up front. Um, yeah. But something, I mean, after reading the article, I was sort of thinking maybe that's potentially there's a different perspective to look at it from. And it's that, you know, your your target man isn't, they're not homogenous players and you have some players who, you know, you're not always going for a header for the ball and equally... Um, you know, players who are big target men may not have, there's the old classic thing of he's a big lad with a good touch, but equally, like, is there a way that we can measure the touch of a player? So therefore, you know, you have a, it sort of depends on how the data is coded, but if you have a long pass to a target man up front, is that the goalkeeper's hitting him, but he's not controlling the ball, or is it the goalkeeper's not making the, the pass accurately? Which I guess is something you could look into with, you know, given more data, and maybe Sam, other Sam, if you have any sort of similar thoughts on that. But, um, I mean, the one example I was thinking of was uh, I recently watched a Fiorentina match against, I think it was against Empoli or someone, I can't remember, and um, 
the Fiorentina goalkeeper would send the ball long to um, I think it's Babacar, and he typically he just had a, a really really good touch, and then also he had the ability to hold up the play and pass it to another man. And it wasn't that he was having a lot of headed duels; it was more that he'd take it down on his you know on his thigh or, or with his feet, and then it would shield the, the shield the ball and pass it off to. Uh, you know, a teammate. And it's that you don't capture that fully in like a pass accuracy metric, whereas, you know, a combination of Babacar and the Fiorentina goalkeeper is creating opportunities further up the pitch that you wouldn't get, say, with Czech and Giroud, because I feel with a lot of um, Giroud's things, there's a lot more contestability in the Premier League and you have him a lot less of the time taking it down, like touching the ball to control it versus heading it away. So, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, in terms of the drawbacks of it, I'm certainly not saying the metrics perfect as I know you you mentioned. Um, I think yeah, they're all things to be looked at in the future. But this really was just kind of a first cut on something that hadn't really been looked at beyond just raw uh, pass percentage. So I think yeah, there's definitely a lot of room to manoeuvre in ways to improve it. And yeah, I think that's definitely one way to do it. And also in terms of an accurate pass, like a short played pass, I remember watching. Back in November, I think it was, Brad Guzan played the most horrible pass to Micah Richards, which was in fact accurate. But it was a nightmare for Richards to control. So although it went down in like the Opta data or would have done as an accurate pass for Guzan, it like ricocheted off Richards, it like hit him in the knee or something like that from quite a short range, and then just rolled into the path of the onrushing opposition player who had a shot or may have even scored. So obviously there's things like that to consider that all passes that are accurate and not necessarily equally as good and the same with all passes that are inaccurate. So yeah, you're definitely right in terms of the interactions of other players are certainly things that have to be considered. But then I think that's true of other metrics as well. Like for example, if you think of chances created or even XG, like what, what's the effect of another striker or midfielder making an off the ball run, dragging the defenders out of the way? I think in all kind of analytics, we can be prone to attributing I guess too much praise to an individual player for something they've done rather than within the wider I guess tactical system which is something that I think um, I guess we all need to like work on producing better better metrics in the future but yeah they're definitely things I'm aware of in relation to the passing to the passing metric and I guess it sort of comes back to the process of you know, we started with shots, we started with quantity like TSR, and now we're moving towards, you know, expected goals. We've got the quality aspect. Uh, slowly getting that with assists and key passes, you've got, you know, you had your quantity with the, the raw number of key passes, now you're getting your quality in terms of your expected assists and the more granulated, granular data around that. Uh, you know, yeah, like you're saying, you know, there's scope to do a similar thing here where you've got, you know, you've got your quantity of passes in different zones, and then when someone or, you know, if there's an, a pass quality um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, metric that's used, once again, it's something you can layer on top and time with this. So, yeah, I, definitely. I agree. There's there's so many more sort of avenues to explore. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> there's some free ideas if you... Uh... Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, as I was saying earlier, within even um, just goalkeepers being, I guess, such an under, under-researched area within analytics, it's kind of natural that the... Um, I guess, evolutionary process of the metrics will start from a lower level to begin with. Although it does also mean you have the bonus of looking towards attacking metrics and seeing what the flaws were and eventual solutions there. 
to then kind of, I guess, transplant them into goalkeeping and defensive metrics to improve those after the first cut. But yeah, I completely agree with you. And thanks for the ideas. Uh, so this coming Wednesday, the 10th of February, it's the uh, OptiPro Forum. Uh, Sam, you're presenting. Can you give us a, a quick overview of what your presentation's about? Yeah, I, I can. Um, first of all, I'd like to mention that obviously it's great. Like I can, it was yeah, brilliant, brilliant news, and I heard that I had the opportunity to uh, to present at Opta. And yeah, so my research proposal was to look at cross claiming, which is another like with passing, another arena of goalkeeping that kind of goes neglected as shot stopping is the only real thing that's looked at. Um, so yeah, basically it starts from the premise that, um, all goalkeepers drop some crosses, all goalkeepers punch some crosses and all goalkeepers claim some crosses and all goalkeepers leave some crosses to their defenders or to the attackers. Um, and I think the problem with, I guess, just watching one or two matches is we could gain a completely flawed perspective of how good a keeper actually is at dealing with crosses. Um, so it's kind of an effort, to, as I, again, to kind of try and cut through the narrative or at least give an alternative perspective to the narrative um, in terms of an area of goalkeeping that's under research and just try and say, okay, over a season or a couple of seasons, are there some keepers that routinely seem to be good at dealing with crosses? And within that, the way to, I think, to look at that is extremely important to ensure that you get the KPIs right. And it's something I'll discuss again at Opta, but for anyone that won't be there or is just interested anyway and wants a bit of a, a teaser, I suppose, um, like looking at just raw claims percentage, which can be done just from getting numbers from Squawker, i.e. what percentage of crosses does a keeper catch or drop? Um, it's First of all, it's not repeatable at all from season to season, and all keepers are up way above 90% in terms of the numbers. But the problem with that, is that it gives really negative incentives to a keeper. Because whilst I suppose the intention is to say, um, okay, so we want the keeper to catch all of his crosses, which on the face of it seems like a good thing, it can be so easily gamed by a keeper just standing on their line and then only coming out for ones that they're absolutely certain that they're going to catch. So it's essential, and this is what I've tried to do with the ops thing, is to factor in things like aggression. So how readily will a keeper come off their line to deal with a cross? Um, things like that to kind of really ensure that the KPI kind of offers what you'd want from your goalkeeper rather than just what you'd think you'd want on the surface of it. Like, so you'd think, yeah, we want them to be good catch above average. And it's like, yeah, that's right. But you also want them to come for more balls and catch the more balls than average that they've also come for, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think it's really about giving the right incentives and then within that trying to establish, yeah, a quantitative method for the analysis of keepers that are dealing with crosses. Looking at some goalkeepers that you've written about, which goalkeepers do you like personally? Just which keepers that you like out of your personal analysis, and I guess that you enjoy watching as well. So, I mean, yeah, out of my analysis, I guess I enjoy keepers that surprise me even sometimes in coming out well. Um, I also really like ones that are just kind of written off, which is maybe just the contrarian in me. So, I've really got a thing for David Espina, just because the fact that he got so much stick from Arsenal fans. So, oh, he's too short or whatever, or oh, he's questionable under the high ball. I just think that people are so quick to judge players on such a small like sample in games that I guess I really root for players like that. 
in terms of within my analysis, yeah, there's definitely keepers that I think are generally underrated or have, I guess, are negatively perceived as having a weakness at something as a result of his just kind of availability heuristic in a way. So we might be told that, I guess, keeper X is fallible at dealing with crosses as a result of him once dropping one in a high-profile situation. But in actual fact, if we look at, for example, the research I've done at Opta, maybe that's possibly not actually true. Maybe they're even above average or certainly not terrible. So, yeah, it's, it's some keepers like that do interest me. And um, so, yeah, there's one one player that springs to mind is Lucas Fabianski, who um, was obviously got quite a lot of stick from from Arsenal fans, which is deemed not really good enough for Arsenal. I guess error prone is kind of a perception. But most of like the statistical things I've done and the ones that other people have done that I've seen, he really performs quite well. Like, I'm not saying he's the best keeper in the world at all, but I'm saying that it's kind of forgotten keepers like that in kind of the, the mid-range of the table that can sometimes surprise you. So he came out in my passing thing. Okay, yes, it's a flawed metric, but he came out as one of the better passers of, within the Premier League and indeed within Europe, which is fascinating. And in the cross uh, claiming analysis he comes out pretty well in that as well when one of my housemates who's an Arsenal fan exclusively refers to him as Flappy Handski as a result of him like being bad at dealing with crosses in the box so I think that yeah we're very quick to judge players off one bad game when maybe over a more longitudinal analysis when we're not necessarily watching or at things that we don't necessarily consider to look at certain players can be doing quite well and yeah I'm not saying at all that I know everything about all keepers and other keepers that I haven't even considered and aspects of keeping that I'm not probably even aware of that certain keepers perform brilliantly at. But yeah, it's players like that. So like Ospina and Fabianski are two guys that I really like to watch. Um, but just, yeah, as a goalkeeper fan, I mean, some of the great saves videos that you see that even if they're not necessarily repeatable, that the keeper just pulls out of thin air and you think, oh, it's a goal, you're almost midway through celebrating. But no, it's tipped around the post. I love all that. I think it's great. So a discussion that uh, me and Sam were having the other day was essentially if you're uh, a Premier League team looking to recruit a new goalkeeper, like say um, Arsenal might have to do in a couple of seasons' time, um, do you look for your sort of established Premier League player, say you've got a Joe Hart-style player who's a very um, credible shot-stopper, no doubt, but maybe his sort of non-shot-stopping stats, uh, as we're referring to them, aren't as good? Or you have a player like, say, Jan Sommer, um, in the Bundesliga who plays in Munchen Gladbach is probably similar level of shot stopping ability. Potentially, you probably know more than I. Um, but he seems to be a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more comfortable with his feet. Now, I haven't checked the numbers on this, and you probably know this could be wrong as well. But the sort of argument is that, you know, is there a sort of level of um, like is our goalkeepers with these other stats undervalued in the market potentially versus your traditional Premier League shot stoppers that we seem to see, you know, season on season? I think it's a really interesting question. Um, I think all goalkeepers generally are undervalued. So in terms of, I suppose, looking for a real like bargain, I think in the current transfer market, you could probably sign Manuel Neuer for a bargain price. Okay, Bayern may not let him go. But relative to his, I suppose, actual perception compared with other players, people almost seemingly refuse to spend over a certain threshold on their goalkeepers. 
um, which staggers me. So, for example, in the top 100 transfer fees of all time, you've got one goalkeeper. And if we're saying that all players within a team are equally valuable in the sense that you want all 11 of your players to be brilliant, you'd expect like nine or 10 of the 100 top transfer fees to be keepers. So, and that, yeah, that singular one was Buffon back in 2001. And there just really doesn't seem to be any real, like, sense of necessity to pay a lot for a goalkeeper, which, yeah, which, as I say, surprises me. So I think there are some real bargains that can be got anyway, even amongst the big names. Um, but yeah, in terms of signing, I guess, a tried and tested Premier League keeper versus one from abroad, I think there's definitely a lot of work that can be done in looking at the transitions, some differences in like styles, maybe that might lead Bundesliga keepers to rank above Premier League keepers or vice versa on certain metrics. And kind of, I think that's where the kind of, um, I guess, intuitive scouting, so like the watching in the flesh, like from a, I suppose, a goalkeeping coach or whatever, would really be able to tell you like what some of the differences might be in terms of the league in that sense. Um, but I think, yeah. Communication is obviously a massive factor for goalkeeping that's not necessarily quantifiable. But if you're bringing in a keeper from some obscure, I don't know, hypothetically they can't even speak English league to the Premier League, and you've got hypothetical defence who are largely English speaking, which, okay, the Premier League is increasingly globalised, so that may not even exist anymore. But yeah, I think the communication factor is a massive, a massive factor. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think there's bargains. Um, in terms of even the big names. But I think that even beneath that, yeah, someone like Jan Sommer's definitely interesting, although he didn't come out, he came out fairly similarly to Hart, kind of fairly average in the passing thing I looked at. Um, but yeah, there's definitely definitely some names in some of the European leagues that I think would be really interesting to see in the Premier League. So moving on to some of the quick questions we got from Twitter. The first one was um, looking at save percentage. And given that save percentage has been shown to be quite variable and is actually used sort of as a luck proxy in a lot of terms, in a lot of different stats work, uh, do you think that, that there are more repeatable and more accurate shot-stopping metrics like expected goals against divided by expected goals or something like that that we can use for shot-stopping? Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely ways that um, like kind of the save percentage problem can be improved on. So... I read one piece on the Up to Pro blog that kind of came up with a refined um, like goals conceded above expectation um, model, which the R squared was higher than it is for generally for save percentage. So there's definitely ways that you can refine it. I think really the way to really cut through the noise is just to do it on putting in seasons back to back, which might seem like an issue in terms of if you want to know about a keeper now who's only played one season. Um, that you, it would be kind of hard to say whether he's actually good at shot stopping or not based on his save percentage. I think the fact that keepers, so, so for example, Courtois and De Gea could quite realistically play for like the next 13 years or whatever as a result of them still being in their very early 20s, I think that there's not so much of a problem here um, in the sense that if you have four seasons of data and a keeper is continually good at either like save percentage or expected goals against, then you probably have got a case to make that he is a better shot stopper than average. But yeah, as I say, I haven't done a huge amount of research on like, shot stopping uh, models. I tend to leave that to people like 
Paul Riley, who'd been working on it for years. Whilst, as I say, there's so many of like the non-shot stopping metrics to look at, um, which no one else is that I enjoy focusing on. But yeah, it's definitely something I'd like to to look at in the future to kind of combine to allow my analyses to be more to be more holistic too. But I think yeah, the I guess longitudinal analysis of someone seems good over a lot of seasons, then and over a lot of shots faced then we can probably begin to say, yeah, well, over that amount of shots, their luck probably has been smoothed out. And there was a great piece on um, Stats Bomb from a few years ago that I found, written by Dan Kennett, I think it was, that put save percentage into a funnel plot over years, over some years. And there were some keepers that performed like two standard deviations above or below like the, the average, um, having faced a really high number, I can't quite remember what it was off the top of my head, having based a really high number of shots. And some of those were the names you'd kind of expect intuitively, i.e. I think Petr Cech was one of the better shot stoppers that came out in that. So I think that, yeah, looking at it from lots of seasons is probably a good way to go and not necessarily something to be afraid of in the sense that, as I say, goalkeepers tend to be around for a lot longer anyway. So yeah, it's not necessarily a bad way. But yeah, looking at keeper on safe centre for one season is definitely definitely now I think we've saved the sort of hottest question for last um, the sort of uh, trend currently with goalkeeper analytics is to be you know asking how many points do you think that a goalkeeper can add to a team um, versus sort of your average or say replacement player um, so yeah Sam what do you think have you had any thoughts on this and if so do you have like a, a figure that you can attribute to that I've had some thoughts on this um, it's not something I've thought a huge amount about other than just kind of abstractly, really. I remember Damien Camoli, was it, on the podcast, said that a good keeper or Lloris even would have something like 15 points. Um, and it just, yeah, I think it's kind of a where, where are you getting that figure from? Who are you comparing it to? Is it is that Lloris, say, compared with whoever he's replacing? Or is it Lloris compared with the worst-case scenario? Or indeed Lloris compared with not having a goalkeeper in the net at all? Um, I just think, it's, yeah, when people say a goalkeeper adds X amount of points over a season, it's hard to know exactly what they're actually um, comparing to. But I think you probably can begin to like tentatively add up like the points that a keeper may cost you um, over the course of a season. Like I saw an article, I think, I can't remember who wrote it recently, looking at Mignolet. It might have even just been tweets on Twitter by someone where they were saying, oh, Mignolet made this error here that's towards the end of the game that cost Liverpool this goal and as a result two points and totted up and they've worked out that Mignolet had cost something like 10 points over the course of the season but is that against a keeper that makes no mistakes and is that saying that all of the blame there lies on Mignolet rather than on the defenders for example I think it's a really really hard um, hard practice to do and it interests me, kind of the fascination with it. Again, I wonder if to an extent it's just availability heuristic in the sense that lots of people have at some point said, oh, the keeper adds this amount of um, this amount of points over a season, therefore we must judge keepers in this respect. We must ask all people who are, who are talking about keepers if this kind of cliche almost is true. And I just think, well, why are we asking that about goalkeepers? Why are we not saying about oh, Sanchez adds this amount of points over a season for Arsenal as compared with the next best alternative or whatever. I just, it, Yeah, it does interest me that it's such a goalkeeper-specific question. 
particularly within, I guess, a wider analytics frame that tends to not really consider keepers. So yeah, I think there's better questions that can be asked, I guess, in terms of working out what goalkeepers are good at relative to each other. And I think it would probably be more productive to spend time looking at those things than working out the points contribution. But it also, sorry, Tiki, I keep saying, but also, but also, so like if Lloris really does add 15 points in a season, then it baffles me why the perception of goalkeepers as players you can buy on the cheap still kind of remains. Because 15 points is obviously quite a significant proportion of the team's total. And if Lloris on his own is adding 10 or 15 or however many points, then his market value is absolutely astronomical. And he's probably one of the most valuable players in world football. And I just don't see that. So I think, yeah, it's definitely something that could be interestingly analysed. But I think football's so interrelated amongst the players that trying to get specific points contribution from a specific player, yeah, it's not really the way I analyse keepers. But yeah, it definitely interests me when other other people do. So yeah, that's probably my my thoughts on that. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. If there's anything you want to plug before you head out or anything you've been working on that you've got coming up over the next few weeks? Um, yeah, so over the next few weeks, I want to return to the um, passing metric. So definitely give me a follow on Twitter if you're interested in that. I quite like posting graphs about that, which, I mean, I haven't done that for a while because I've been working on my ops thing, but obviously that's on Wednesday. So yeah, after that, the passing metric is definitely something I want to want to return to other than that you're more than welcome and it's massively appreciated every click i get on my blog so just head to outsidersin.wordpress.com and have a look at some of the things i've written please give me your feedback as critical as possible i mean that's how we learn and improve right so yeah i really love just the dialogue that emanates from the analytics community online so yeah um just yeah get involved talk to me about your stuff that disagree with me on that's so I guess the only the only plug I've got sweet I think that's everything uh, thanks for joining us Sam alright thank you very much guys it was really fun